0: You're about to listen to the complete developer podcast, the podcast by coders and for coders about all aspects of life as a developer.
1: I'm Will, the curmudgeonly experienced developer,
0: and I'm Beach, the optimistic newbie developer. So,
1: Beach, what have you uh, been up to this week?
0: Well, I've actually gotten some uh, some emails about job openings for entry level junior developers. Not quite at the level to apply for him yet, but uh, I need to put out some more examples of my work. One of them that I was looking at that was really interesting, it did say I had to have developed a WordPress template, so that's my new project. I got to learn some PHP for that, but uh, also I finally got my blog moved over to, uh, to my WordPress site that I'm hosting on uh, Azure, <laughs> Azure, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you can still read it on uh, our website, com, but now you can go on over to my website com and check out my blog and I have some examples of my work there and a link to my GitHub repo. Now, that's cool. about all that's been going on. How about you, Will?
1: I am in a slugging match right now for the Agulus project that I mentioned before that I'm working on on the side. We are trying to basically make it where it can scale better and as a result i've been dealing a lot with RabbitMQ for message queuing which works great and there's a library that we've kind of put on top of that this is called mass transit it's a c-sharp library mostly i've got everything working but i am trying to implement sagas which is sort of long-running processes that happen across multiple boxes and then you get the results so it's like a workflow across boxes even that is mostly working, but I've got one piece, well, I've got two pieces, actually, that are not working right now, and it is absolutely ruining my day.
0: And as soon as you get those working, something else will break? Nah, no, more than likely,
1: not Not with this. Um, oh, that's good. But the the thing is, is I'm sort of stuck at the moment, and I try to figure out how to get unstuck, because part of my problem is, is I don't think I know anybody that can help me get unstuck, so I'm pretty much all on my own, and...
0: That explained your uh, your message last night. On hey, will you look at look at this and give me your thoughts?
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes, you know, <laughs> sometimes you're desperate, man.
0: Yeah, uh, if you're asking me, you're desperate.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I'm I'm muddling through a little bit. I'll probably get back on there after the podcast and probably knock it out in a couple of hours. Either that, or it'll stop me cold for a week. I'm I'm hoping that. I'll get it knocked out pretty quick, but it's pretty much all that I've got going on at the moment. I've got a, you know, I've got the full time gig, and then I've got this side project, and I get to fight with uh, distributed computing problems. That's that's pretty much it.
0: Cool. Yeah, gotta, play the glorious music. Yeah, it's not
1: like the music's bad. It just uh, if you hear it once, it sticks in your head for like four days, and you can't get it out of there.
0: Well, at least it's not as bad as Inagata Vita.
1: That's true. I need to torture you with that one sometime.
0: Oh my goodness. It's a 17 minute song at its longest, and that'll be stuck in my head for weeks.
1: Well, it can't be any worse then. Let's go ahead and play that uh, that new and interesting music. <laughs>
0: For this episode of IoTs, I have something a little bit different. It is called the ThinkBox, and it provides uh, Internet of Things technologies for everyday use. Software designed to be used on the Raspberry Pi. It's freeware with a WTFLP license. And, Will, do you know anything about those licenses?
1: No, that's a brand new one there, Uh, WTFLP.
0: I don't know a whole lot about licensing other than, according to the ThinkBox website, it is a very permissive license for software that allows a lot of freedom for development and kind of playing around. This is really neat because it is both for techies and people who fiddle around with this stuff all the time, and for beginners, someone that's just getting into the Internet of Things. For the beginners, it's got uh, easy single-step processes and a graphical interface to take full advantage of the Internet of Things. For techies, it's ready to use. And then, like I said about the licensing, it's very permissive, allows you to do a lot of things with that.
1: So what sort of things does it allow you to do?
0: According to the website, and I'm just going to read this straight to you, the ThingBox allows anyone to graphically create a new unlimited applications interacting with connected objects from a single web browser. Basically a graphical interface to design and build IoT devices. What it is not is a new home automation box. It can be used for that, but its purpose is to create... New usages that go far beyond the home automation, and if you guys look at the website, you will know I am pretty much reading straight from that. It really is neat, neat bit of software. I've played with it a little bit. And how do you get it? The ThingBox.io. Again, I'll put the link in the show notes, and you download it, download it, and install the image file to your Raspberry Pi. Interesting.
1: I like how there's the uh, the drag and drop capability. I mean, I could see this. Being something that empowers people that aren't quite as nerdy as us yes. for putting things together, although it would be an excellent shortcut for a lot of us as well.
0: Yeah, that's the goal behind the development of this was to, to not only get the people who are just starting out or the non-techies interested in, in creating Internet of Things applications and hardware as well, but also to make it easier for the techies. That
1: looks like something that would be pretty handy.
0: Alright guys, this week's episode we're going to talk about social issues concerning the development community. We're going to kind of start off by giving some definitions and possibly correcting some misunderstood notions about some different terms. Will, you want to get us started? Sure. I guess the first thing
1: to discuss here is introvert versus extrovert. It's pretty widely known that, or pretty widely thought, rather, that Introverts are shy and extroverts are are loud and boisterous, but this is actually not correct. Introverts are not actually necessarily shy. The idea of an introvert is someone who derives their their energy, their social energy basically, from being alone. Extroverts are not necessarily boisterous and loud. Um, They just are a person that derives their energy from being around other people. It's really like there's two scales. There's shy versus outgoing, and then there's introverted versus extroverted. It's entirely possible to be a shy extrovert. It's also entirely possible to be a loud and boisterous introvert. In fact, that's that's actually kind of both of our personalities, Well, or at
0: least mine. Yeah, I'm... Maybe projecting there a little bit. I'm more lean towards the extrovert side. You really have to think of it, it's not so much binary as it is a spectrum. Most people know these terms from the Myers-Briggs personality type indicator. And with that, you score on a spectrum where on one end is introvert and on the opposite end is extrovert. Personally, I score just across the line on extrovert. I mean, barely into the extrovert area. So I get my energy, and what we mean by get your energy, think of it like this. When you're stressed out, had a rough day, a rough week, what do you want? Do you want to go home, relax, maybe watch TV, play video games, be by yourself, read a book? Or do you want to get together with your friends to cheer you up, spend time with them, and relax hanging out? The introvert, while they may be outgoing, if they're having a stressful day or week, they're going to want to go home, relax on their own. And the extrovert, they're going to want to go out with their friends because they feel better from being in social interactions. Whereas with the introvert, social interactions can at times be straining if they're already stressed out.
1: That's a pretty good definition. Um, Now, how would you define shy and outgoing? So, I would think a shy person, basically, it, that's more a measurement of how willing they are to open up in a group, how willing they are to draw attention to themselves. So a shy, you know, a shy individual is someone who does not typically do that. They may well be extroverted. They may want to go and hang out with friends and go to the bar and watch their friends be idiots and get drunk and not really do anything. They just sit and watch quietly. Uh, We both know several people like that.
0: I was going to say, I have some friends that are definitely considered shy extroverts. They're mainly storytellers. They like getting together with people and telling stories. A lot of musicians are like that. and A lot of times, they would consider themselves introverts when really what they think of when they think, I'm stressed out, I need to relax, is going out with their close friends, A- outgoing person is someone who is likely to walk up to a group of people they've never met before and start a conversation with them about anything. I am pretty far on the outgoing side. I have no problem talking to people I've never met before. Actually, I I enjoy it. I look forward to meeting new people, and so does Will.
1: As long as I'm not stressed. When I'm stressed, I want to get away from everybody, um, so that's that's where the introversion comes in. So, hoping that kind of makes it a little bit more clear, you know, as we go into this discussion, because this tends to be uh, one of the main axes along which problems occur, you know, in, in office environments and in interpersonal relationships between developers and others, or between just different developers in general. Yeah.
0: There's a really great thing that circled on Facebook for a while. And I'll post a link to it in the show notes. I don't have it up in front of me. But it is how to deal with an introvert. And it does go a little bit into the fact that introverts aren't – doesn't mean shy. But mainly it talks about the differences between introvert and extrovert and how an introvert gets their rest and relaxation and gets gets their energy, their – Ability to go out and do things for them. They have to focus and it's straining to go out and be around people. I don't understand that as much because for me, going out and being around other people is energizing. I feel pumped up being around other people.
1: So it's not like that for me. I, I feel like I'm having to constantly navigate Having to, I'm having. It, it's almost. I think it may be a matter of the degree to which you feel you're able to go on autopilot when I mean, you're having to constantly think. A, a lot of times, sitting in a crowded environment, even if I'm having a good time, it feels like I'm in traffic. Is pr- probably the best way to put it. It's just that constant low level slowly twisting up on you type of type of strain whereas if I'm by myself I'm completely okay with that. And I think my perception is is that extroverts tend to have a harder time sitting alone.
0: Yes. It's um, the same,
1: you know, for them because they're constantly trying to figure out something to do or they can't just sit and stare at a wall for an extended period of
0: time. That's a good way of putting it. Falling right in the middle there for me. I primarily get energized and pepped up being around other people, but there are times when I'm just exhausted or I just want to sit and read a book and can go for hours without any social interaction.
1: Um, I think another thing that's important here is it's frequently, whether you're introverted or extroverted, is somewhat situation-dependent. There's There are some groups of people that I'm completely fine. It's almost like I adapt and I'm capable of being fairly extroverted around them. And I, I draw a lot of energy from that. Uh, my friends that are martial arts people are a great example of that. I don't feel like I have to navigate socially quite as much with them. Same thing with other developers, typically. Whereas if I'm around a bunch of people who are totally into whatever Honey Boo Boo did this last week, that just completely drains me. It pretty much instantly drains me. I actually get away from that as quickly as I'm able to. I. And I've seen you adapt as well and become introverted when dealing with certain types of people (laughs) which we won't talk about too much.
0: (laughs) I was actually going to mention my former mother-in-law Nothing particularly against her, just we don't have a lot in common. And I'm very good at finding that one little bit or that one thing, because I have an insatiable curiosity, as I've mentioned before, but that thing that you're really into that I can either talk about or learn from you, and between the two of us, we just didn't have, I couldn't find anything other than a mutual enjoyment for certain types of alcohol, which was all I ever talked to uh, with her and led her to believe that I was an alcoholic.
1: Well, I guess that doesn't really work very well.
0: Moving back into to the topic at hand, one area that this really affects us as developers is in the workspace. And in recent years, we've seen a big push for open workspaces which are great for people like me because I'm Mr. Sit-around-and-talk-to-you, and I think by talking.
1: Whereas for people like me, they are a burning dumpster fire full of sadness. It's, it's constant uh, imposition of social stuff when I'm trying to think and when I'm already stressed. And you'll see a lot of huge internet arguments about whether closed offices or open offices are better choice. And a lot of that really comes down to who's sitting in them. Because if you have an extrovert that's stuck in an office by themselves, they're not going to be in that office very much.
0: No, I've worked in office environments where I sat in an office by myself and I was always stepping out anytime I could to go. And even if it was just something I could have sent by email, I would carry it over to someone else's office just to get that social interaction. What do you do if you're an introvert, but the place you're working at has an open workspace? Headphones. At
1: the very least, you can cut down on people's ability to impose, although a lot of times that doesn't even really work either. Honestly, there's not a whole lot you can do. You either have to uh, deal with it or leave most places. That's one of the things you want to ask about when you're interviewing is what, what the office environment looks like, or better yet, you know, sneak in there and go see because you, you don't you don't want to be in an environment that really does not match your dispositions. Most of corporate America seems to really really like the open workspaces a lot better than they do anything else and that's because of the cost structure more than anything. It's there's there's some funky stuff with taxes that that goes into the calculation and unfortunately that that creates a pretty negative work environment. I do I do by the way consider uh cubicle farms to be an open work environment. Um, when I can hear somebody chewing gum in the next cube over, it's open. It doesn't matter if there's a wall. That's, that's one set of uh, social issues that seems to affect uh, developers and development community a lot. It's pretty much an unresolved issue, although in my experience, most developers are pretty introverted. You have to be a little bit in that direction or a lot in that direction simply because of the amount of time. spent sitting alone looking at machines, dealing with machines not dealing with people that's that's really required to get good at this stuff
0: My sister is coming in town today uh, to visit and when I told her I was getting back into coding she told me she didn't see me as being able to do it because I'm too outgoing and extroverted that's the way she sees me, that's the way I am around her she doesn't see the me that sits and stares at a computer screen for four or five hours at a time or that sits and reads a book all day long
1: well you can be an you can be an extroverted computer programmer you just you tend to have to have a different approach to things you tend to be more collaborative um, there's there's certainly environments where that that's a, such a requirement you really do need to be extroverted it does seem that most of the population of developers is introverted i think a lot of that really goes back to when we were growing up computer nerds were nerds they were sitting in a basement and they you know they were social outcasts and you know that that's starting to change really so i think a lot of you know a lot more extroverted people are coming in the other thing is is you don't necessarily have to be a developer you can develop software and not be a developer you could be a marketing guy that has this in his tool belt Sometimes that can pay more. You know, don't, don't limit what you think of as a software developer to somebody who just codes.
0: That's a good point.
1: Um, because then you're going to have to be an introvert because you're focused on one thing anyway.
0: The other issue that I've thought of with open office spaces, and this is for extroverts, more so for outgoing extroverts, is productivity. Productivity. How much time are you going to spend socializing versus your time working?
1: From what I've seen with open offices with extroverts that are uh, tend to be a little bit more social and boisterous, the amount of time spent socializing is a three-digit integer value less than 101. Pretty much that's all they do. Um, that is That is one of the downsides of the open floor plan. Idea, but as long as people look busy, a lot of places they can still get away with it. So uh, the next thing, next topic we'll discuss is how developers tend to see their own skill level. Um, this this tends to create a lot of a lot of interesting social pressures, particularly in the workplace, but in other places too, where an individual has a misplaced idea of what their skill set and importance is, and so this creates yet another continuum, or another spectrum. Of behavior, so at the one end you have kind of a narcissistic superiority complex. You'll see this a lot with developers. I couldn't even count the number of these I've, I've run across.
0: I'm sorry i I can't help but think of the SNL skit.
1: Yeah, uh, the guy that uh, you know that gets impatient with the users and goes move, you know that that guy because he thinks he's so much better than them. That's at one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is what we call imposter syndrome.
0: Now, this is something that occurs a lot in medical school, especially in the third and fourth year when we're out in the clinic going into residency and the first few years as a doctor. You feel like you don't know enough, you feel like you're just faking at being a developer, at being a doctor whatever you're doing, you feel like you're not ready to do it yet.
1: You know, as, a, as somebody that's been developing for a very long time, I still periodically get a bout of imposter syndrome. And, you know, crud, I've been doing this full-time since I graduated. You know, I, I started in January of 2003 with my first full-time programming job out of college. It's now 2015, the latter half of the year, 2015. So I've got a dozen years, and it still hits me sometimes. I sit there, and I'm coding, and I have this thought in my head that they're going to figure out that I don't know what I'm doing any day now.
0: Well, that happened the other day. Well, I guess it was a couple weeks ago uh, before you had started the current job you're at. You were telling me about uh, your prospects and how one of them was offering you a little bit more than what you Typically, make uh, and it was more than a little. Yeah,
1: that situation didn't actually um, didn't actually work out because of some other things that happened. But it it threw me. It really threw me for a loop because they were offering me an hourly rate that was significantly in excess of of what I actually thought I was worth. To such a degree that I I started actually questioning whether I could do this or not. And it it was it was really odd how it it almost destroyed my ability to be productive for a good day or so.
0: Yeah. I remember you talking to me about, about it. And I remember you talking about how you were concerned that you would not be able to give them the quality that they would be paying for.
1: Right. Well, and the, the thing is, is, is now looking back on that, the amount that they were, they were willing to pay me, was less than than what the uh, client I'm currently working for is probably paying the recruiter to pay me a smaller slice. And that client is clearly getting their value or I wouldn't still be there. It's weird. This, this stuff pops up and it's, it's not entirely, it's not at all rational. And it's, it's kind of the same thing with the uh, people that have the inflated sense of self-worth. Any kind of spectrum. Well, of course you did a whole lot with psychology. So you're well aware that the fact that the opposite of crazy tends to also be crazy. So someone who is who has extremely low self confidence, that's one kind of crazy and understand I'm not trying to use crazy as a medical term. I'm saying it's ineffective, it's destructive. You know, somebody that's very negative about their capabilities has one type of crazy, one type of negativity and destruction. Somebody that's overly confident has an entirely different set that's also crazy.
0: Yeah, this is something that you think of newbie developer as having the imposter syndrome and the experienced developers having the superiority syndrome it doesn't
1: work like that at all
0: no and this is an issue that as a new developer i've been out looking at different job options um, i really don't feel like i'm quite there yet will probably agrees with me i'm working my way there but A lot of times...
1: Well, let me me interject here. You are better than some newbie developers I've talked to who have have told me I'm wrong. (laughs) Thank you. If that Uh, illustrates the point here.
0: Well, what I'm getting at is there are some people out there who are very new at it and go out and apply for these jobs. And that makes everybody who is a new developer or who didn't go to go the traditional path of a cs degree look bad and
1: yeah i do notice i do notice the the hubris and the inflated sense of skill that a lot of newer developers have that tends to tends to kind of be a phase i honestly that everybody goes through because i remember my first job out of college i had a my boss excellent excellent programmer I'm, still friends with him on Facebook, you'll probably eventually listen to this podcast. But he told me, he goes, you know, you hear something down the hall and then you're here immediately with some solution that you cooked up. It's like you just pop your head in like Kramer from Seinfeld. And he's like, you gotta stop doing that. And it, it kinda it kinda hurt my feelings when he said it then, but now I look back at it and I'm like, that's the best piece of advice I ever got was you don't have all the answers. Of course now you know now that I'm older and further along Theoretically I should have all the answers, but I realize I don't. And I realize I have such a small sliver of those answers that I feel like I have next to none in many cases. And so the imposter syndrome starts starts creeping in with older developers.
0: Also, with that, you start to realize how much you don't know. This happens a lot with teenagers. If you if you think about it like that, teenagers they go through that phase where they you know feel like they know everything. And as we tend to age and get older, we realize how much we don't know. That happens. It's almost like a cycle that happens whenever you're learning something new.
1: Yeah. So I guess we need to move on from there. Uh, another thing we need to discuss um, in social situations is boundaries. And the idea of boundaries is, I guess that comes from probably clinical psychology. There's there's a book on it by some dude somewhere. I, I've i heard of it. I can't remember what the what the book is. Um, I'm sure we'll find it in show notes and give you a nice affiliate link or something. But the idea of a boundary is you don't want to necessarily be an open book to everybody. Some information doesn't need to be shared.
0: Some information shouldn't be shared.
1: Yeah. For instance, we we learn about this in development all the time, right? You have a class and it's got private members. Why? Because that data doesn't need to be accessed from everywhere. It's contained. And your life is kind of like that as well. Everybody at the office really, really shouldn't know about your interpersonal problems with your spouse, for instance. I've worked at a lot of places where that stuff was going on and everybody knew, and it's extremely awkward for other people.
0: There's a difference between between everybody knowing and you having a few friends at the office that you talk to.
1: Well, I think we we discussed this earlier, right? It's a spectrum thing. Yeah. You've got a friend, you know, for instance, where I'm working, you know, there's, there's a guy that I've known for 12, 13 years sitting right behind me. And you know, we were friends before all this. And so, yeah, I can I can talk to him about stuff. But there's a guy in the next office over there that I met three weeks ago. We really shouldn't be talking about that stuff. And so boundaries and, and boundaries aren't just about the amount of information you leak. It's also about the kind of stuff that you do or that you allow to be done to you. Now, I'll give you an example of boundaries, right? Some random dude walks up to you on the street, asks for $100, are you going to give it to him?
0: I don't have a hundred dollars on me, so.
1: Yeah, well, actually, I don't either. But if I did, right, you know, the answer is probably going to be no. Why is that? Well, you haven't established an economy of a relationship between you and this other person, and so you don't give and you don't take. Now, somebody that you've, you know, that you're friends with, but not close friends with, they come up and they ask to borrow a hundred dollars. You you might loan them the hundred bucks, but you're you're going to try to make sure that you get paid back and all that kind of stuff. There's more of an economy there. A best friend walks up and asks to borrow a hundred bucks. You give it to them, and your mindset tends to be more along the lines of, "Well, if I don't get paid back, it's not the end of the world."
0: Usually, it's the the mindset with a very close friend that if they don't pay me back that hundred bucks, I'll get that back, you know, in another way.
1: Yeah. Usually, yeah, usually beer, meals or something. But it's it's a matter of understanding relational economy with other people. And so this is, this is something I see violated considerably. You'll have, you know, and I've seen a lot of people have a lot of really horrendous emotional stuff going on. I've had several workplaces where we've had coworkers who were going through the throes of a divorce. And they're arguing on the phone with their spouse all through the day. They're talking about it all the time with their co workers. Everybody knows exactly what's going on, and everybody in the room is uncomfortable because they feel like they've been pulled into this situation that they're really not getting anything out of it. And they don't, there's no relational economy again with this person. I've also seen situations where you had an individual who was going through the same thing, who was completely isolated, never talked about it at work, and then Suddenly, when their wife kicks them out of the house and you know at two in the morning they're just they're just screwed, and nobody at work is prepared to deal with what's going on so it's it's pathological at either end, but that said, it's pathological still in the middle. It's professionalism, really is what it is
0: yeah, it is a lot about professionalism, and also this is great advice for me if I am going through something. But what if I'm at a job and somebody else is going through it and they are having trouble with boundaries?
1: Uh, so like if they're pushing their problems on you or they're asking, yes, stuff from you, well, I mean, it, it's funny, you know, there's, we have a word in the language for this. It's called no. Obviously you have to couch that a little bit better, right? If you know somebody's legitimately suffering, you, you know, you, you don't just go, no, go away. You know, you, you, you kind of redirect them into a better path, but. You definitely have to enforce boundaries. There's people out there. I mean, I've I've met them, especially it's it's really common among C-level executives where you realize that you know, like most people, when you interact with them, they see you as a person. But there's some people out there that will see you as a thing. And their mindset tends to be, if this person will let me do this to them, they deserve it. And so you have to be very careful because there are predatory individuals out there. Um, there's also individuals that aren't intending to be predatory, but because they're so needy or they're so broken in some other way, they'll they'll wreck your life, and you, know, you just you have to enforce boundaries. And this is something I see developers really struggling with a lot of times.
0: I think it part it goes back to the introvert extrovert shy outgoing part, because well, this is one thing that they taught they teach you in psychology that. I worked at a psychiatric hospital and there's specific pathologies that this is one of boundaries is one of the biggest issues that they deal with in that pathology. And we have to be trained on how to be helpful and receptive, but also have clear boundaries.
1: Yeah, especially when dealing with uh, narcissistic personality disorder and borderline personality disorder, especially borderlines. Um, And that's actually the the sort of people I was, you know, boundary issues tend to crop up um, a lot of times across the boundary of home and work. So when you're bringing uh, home issues, like for instance, you know, fighting with a spouse, when that spills over into the office, on the flip side of that, you also have to keep work problems from coming home.
0: That can be a big issue.
1: Oh yeah, it's a huge issue, uh, especially for software developers. You're mad because this guy, just, you know, down the hall, is implementing something in a stupid way, and we all know, all have that guy that's doing something in a very irritating way. And so you come home, and what do you do? You unload on your spouse about all this, right? You're 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 ticked off all the time. You're sitting there just mad. Well, what did you just do? Well, you you violated a boundary, and it's going to make your spouse hate where you work. It's going to make any, if they interact socially with any of the people that you work with, it's going to make that awkward.
0: Yes, but you also have to think.
1: You have to be able to talk to your spouse about stuff that's going on, right? But you don't. It's 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 kind of like it's like bringing home Indian takeout food as a surprise, right? You give them the naan bread. You don't give them the buffet because they're going to get sick at their stomach. <laughs> I think yeah. that may be the best best way to put it. Like you've, you've got to limit that where, okay, they know what's going on, but it's not an overshadowing thing in their life.
0: One thing I've heard from other friends of mine is setting up a time or an amount of time to discuss work things. And it should be a discussion to where you can talk about your work issues and your spouse can talk about their work issues and then not after that.
1: Right, because when it becomes an obsession, that's again spectrum. Uh, you're you're getting out of the middle ground. That's when things become pathological. So there's also the issue of um, isolation, particularly you know, social isolation. You'll see this a lot with people that uh, work remotely or they're they're e-learning. Like right now, they're taking classes, and that's that's how they're they're trying to move into their career. Um, that's one- I can I can actually speak to this quite a bit because oh, go ahead. I, yeah. Um, from at the tail end of March this year until the tail end of August this year, I I did remote work, and I've done it at several other points in the past as well. What ends up happening is, well, for one thing, you you do have the isolation, right? You don't have social interactions with other people, especially face to face. Now, I had a I had a coworker, and he and I would share screens and have uh, Google Hangouts up all day because he was he was in the same situation he was isolated. You know that's great but that's one other adult you're talking to. And then what happens? Well the family gets home. You know, the kid gets home. So you're talking to the kid. The spouse gets home and they're you know they've got their work problems. You have got your work problems. But socially you're just sort of stunted and you're kind of boxed in. And that's a very difficult thing to overcome.
0: The other side of that from the learning aspect, I've been doing a lot of classes online, Udemy and plural site and things like those which are really great for learning especially if you've got a full-time job elsewhere um, I can work at my own pace and things
1: I use the daylights out of plural site
0: I'm the, I'm a very social person I like going to classes I was in school after high school for probably about 12 years so it's fun it's interacting and you know you're all there for the same thing so it it's a good social interaction in a healthy environment. That said, doing the e-learning, I'm not getting that. And I've talked to quite a few other people who are learning to code through various forums and things. And many of them are jealous of, of our friendship, really, because I tell them, yeah, whenever I've got an issue or I don't understand something, I can just call you up or talk to you when I see you about it and that's one thing that helps for those of you that are listening that are new or are learning find somebody who wants to be a mentor there are people out there that specifically want to will is my mentor mainly because we've been friends
1: yeah the the other thing about like remote work and e-learning is that sense of isolation tends to make you feel very disconnected from other people and this results in a tendency to slack off quite a bit. Actually, it can do that in in an office environment as well. If you just feel like you're just kind of sitting out there doing your own thing, it's, it's very easy to start justifying in your head not quite putting forth as much effort.
0: This is one issue that we deal with in the sales world because my job involves a lot of alone time driving around to different businesses. So I can spend three or four days without seeing anybody else that I work with, which thankfully my My immediate supervisor is very good about calling and kind of keeping up with us. Not so much micromanaging as just providing a social venue there to discuss work issues.
1: Um, The other thing that, or another thing that comes out um, when you're remote working and to some degree e-learning, although if you don't have a teacher, this isn't really an issue, um, is you have a tendency to be forgotten. Um, And what I mean by that is that your employer or whoever is, kind of looking down on you tends to forget that you're there because you're, you're not in the office they don't see you face to face one thing I've noticed when I was doing remote work was that I had to be very careful um, and make sure and, and toot my horn frequently I had to make sure that they were aware of what you know what I'd gotten done that day what problems like I needed to be in their face a little bit more than I would have had to be in an office and the reason for that is because they they tend to forget you and it tends to become rather obvious so that that's a that's a pretty major issue especially with with remote work is not just your feeling of isolation from other people but those people are isolated from you there's no economy of a relationship that starts to strain and stretch away
0: especially as you you tend to only interact online with coworkers, bosses in the educational world with other students there's a lot of really great forums but I don't know what it is. There's something about that physical sitting down and studying together. There's an interaction that you don't see.
1: Well, you get all the nonverbals. Yeah. Right? I mean, even if you're doing you know, even if you're doing Google Hangouts and their face is in front of you on the screen, you can't really see anything but their face. Right? You can't see that they're tapping their foot. You can't see that they're kind of slouched being being lazy you know you, you can't you can't pick up all the body dynamics you can't pick up a lot of the tonality and voice and so you're really missing a, a huge amount of communication that happens non-verbally so what 80 percent is non-verbal
0: yeah so okay
1: good you got 20 percent of that 80 percent.
0: you can't see that the really cute girl you're studying with is leaning in and leaning in and leaning in
1: so you know this episode we've kind of discussed uh, some of the social pathologies that tend to come with software development, we've we've also got another episode uh, where we're going to discuss uh, social interactions, mainly with friends and family, kind of how to manage those a little bit better.
0: Would you have a future episode that will be specifically talking, interacting, living with, dealing with friends, family, spouses, anyone else that's not in the tech or development community? All right, Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Uh, Well, this
1: one, I don't exactly have a link to it um, because it's actually a Chrome web store app. Um, It's called Edge the Web Ruler. And what this does is it actually pops up a ruler on screen that you can drag around and see how large different elements are in pixels, inches, and centimeters. I use this on occasion when I'm trying to clean up website layouts when I need need to know exactly how big something is. If it's, if it's not a fluid layout, obviously. And it's, it's a pretty handy little tool. But again, that's it's called Edge, the web ruler. And it's available in the Chrome Web Store. I don't know if there are similar tools for Firefox and Internet Explorer. But the neat thing about this is, is you can actually, because it's not an in-browser app, you can still load it and just drag it over, i.e., and it'll still work.
0: Oh, that's really cool. Does it adjust for Zoom? On your screen?
1: Uh, no, it does not. As far as I've been able to determine, it doesn't.
0: So if you're going to use this, you want to make sure you're at 100% and not zoomed in or out.
1: Right. Again, it's, it's just a nice starting tool as far as, you know, fixed layouts. If you have a question or comment for us, please email us at neckbeards at com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed under Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is OMFG Hello by Argo Fox and is also licensed under Creative Commons and available on SoundCloud. For references, show notes, and to sign up to our email list, be sure and check out the website at www.completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at dev. pod and like our page on facebook to keep up with news about the show thanks for listening see you next time